lots and lots of spoilers. Groundhog, Groundhog, stand, old Ivy, stand for menstrual. Uh, oh, wait, what? it's um, it's not that Groundhog. Don't think so. That's right, campers. It's Groundhog Day here in the middle of September or whenever you're listening to this. Welcome again like a bad repeating dream. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. <clears throat> no. Spoiler. Wel <laughs> Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back to that same old place that you laughed about, Max Mike <laughs> Movies. In a deleted scene, we're continuing our trek through ancient history, the 90s. With a look at back at a classic oddity of a comedy, 1993's Groundhog Day. Over there is the prognosticator of the preposterous, make mine marvel Max Levine. Me, <laughs> <laughs> me, I'm just your needle-nosed noggin with a broken toboggan, Mike Luce. Before we get to the down and dirty, we have some business to take care of and a little favor to ask. So let's do that thing before we're interrupted by Sonny and Cher. So, hey, do you like to listen to us? Of course you do. Who wouldn't? Hello? Hello? You'd better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listening to us is easy, especially if you use a podcast of your choice. Uh, you can even find us on Spotify, because that's the thing these days. Our website, oh, moist and crunchy episodes going back through Ugh. at least two years. Uh, those are all our episodes up at maxmikemovies.com. Hey, do you have a suggestion? A nice suggestion, worded kindly, without four-letter yeah. words like from last week's episode. You yeah, and that does not involve any anatomically impossible actions on our part. I'm looking at you, Fred. No, there's no Fred. Mm. Uh, you can email us directly. Fred. Yeah, Fred. Uh, he's no yeah. bumpy. Uh, <laughs> email us with your comments, suggestions, or other brick bats. Is that a thing? That was a thing, right? Yeah, yeah that's a thing. Uh, at us at maxmikemovies.com or leave a comment Indeed. on the website that's fine too uh we're on facebook and twitter as max mike movies where you can find all the latest announcements which are generally just us telling you what this week's episode is but if we have any episodes that's where they'll go also i would like or max and i would like to start asking if you would do us a little favor little tiny favor apparently one of the ways you can get listeners is by having good ratings on the apple podcast app and i assume the google podcast app so hey if you like our show and if you would like it to continue eh, we're gonna do it anyway who, who's kidding who <laughs> <laughs> uh but if you would be so kind as to go on to the podcast app of your choice and give us a rating five stars would be nice but you know we'll take what we can get See, we'd prefer 11 they only, give us 11 stars they only go to five i not if you use the hack there's no hack <laughs> Oh, there will be. <laughs> but yes, if you could give us a rating, hey, and a nice comment or two, that'd be great, because we're not certainly not doing this for the money. Although we have actually been approached a couple of times by some yeah. possibly shady marketing people. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. although I, I still believe His Highness, the prince over in Nigeria, I think that could be a real uh, moneymaker for us. Max and I are going to have to have a little talk. <laughs> but uh, he seems so nice. And we, uh, we'd also declined to promote a film called Rogue Warrior 3. Was that what it oh, was? Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's Rogue Warfare 3. Um, Death of a Country? I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not either. And it is apparently a real film, and I don't know how they found us, but sorry, folks. We're going we're gonna to bow out on that. 
Well, we actually did what they wanted. We, we, oh. You just did what they wanted, which was to just mention that the movie exists. Dang! <laughs> you fool! We could have had free giveaways of things yeah. nobody wants. Right. Well, yeah, well, well, we'll see. Maybe this is the start of something small. Just like our show. Uh, yep. So, uh, this week... The show. Groundhog! Yes, the the documentary about making sausage. Yeah. Um, I mean, people don't think that grinding pig meat is that interesting, uh, but uh, I found I have to say I found this uh, you know it's a little disturbing some of it. But uh, uh, Max, yeah, what? What are you talking about? Well, it's Groundhog Day, right? I see. So it's about it's about the day when they take the freshly slaughtered pigs and uh, they they grind them up. Somebody's been caught with his hand in the hormel. Listen, folks, we're going to have to give Max a little slap now to get him back on track. So here we go. There. Ow, ow. It's hard to do over long distance and the podcast. I'm back, and I brought presents for all. Good, as well you should, because we're going to put up the Groundhog Day tree, and we're going to sing Groundhog Carols and all that. Groundhog Carols, my favorite. So, hey, Groundhog Day. Mm. This one is the one that is directed by Harold Ramis. And stars Bill Murray, not having anything to do with Hormel sausages or other kinds of lunch meat. <laughs> hey, Hormel, you know, we, we just gave you a free plug. Please send us spam. Ooh, uh, not wait. that kind of spam. Oh, I mean, it's too the, late. The, the internet hurt damn! you. Damn! <laughs> oh, God, look at our inbox. Oh! Luckily, Bumpy loves spam. He's a weird pony. But, first, trivia. Me. Because we do that thing. We know you love it. Well, we love it. Somebody loves it. It's said here in the script. Budget. Read the damn trivia. Between 14 and 30 million. Honestly, that's what it said. Wow. (laughs) My guess is that 14 was the shooting cost and 30 included advertising. Maybe that was the marketing cost. Maybe. I don't know, but maybe it was Bill Murray's salary. Literally, when I went to look it up, it said budget between 14. It's like, how do you, like, that's a factor of two. I don't think it. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a broad range. The take, and I could only get the domestic, I couldn't get worldwide, but the take was 79 million, and it was one of the. Okay. Yeah, so it was one of the highest grossing movies of 1993. And that's what spawned the Groundhog Academy series. What are we up to now? 11, 12? Yeah. Yeah. Don't drive angry. Apparently, this was not just a line that was ad-libbed in the movie. It was true. Bill Murray was bitten more than once by said groundhog and had to be inoculated oh. against rabies because of it. <laughs> oh. Yeah. In fact, right right before we, or right after they cut at that scene is apparently when it went right through the glove into his knuckle. Oh. Um, yeah, that, that groundhog, not tame. They actually caught it yeah. right before shooting. So that's a great idea. I knew it wasn't actually Punxsutawney Phil because they wouldn't let people use him, but that was an actual wild animal. Yeah, and one of the other Bah. reasons that it's not Punxsutawney film is the film was not shot in Punxsutawney, but was in fact shot Uh. in Woodstock, Illinois. Um, Yeah. Originally up for Murray's role, we do these occasionally, Tom Hanks. But he was considered being too nice. Um, and he just wouldn't have worked, at least according to Harold Ramis. Uh, hmm. Others people's that other others people's other others pe- people's others people's uh, other people hmm. considered, but also too nice included Chevy Chase, Steve Martin. He was too nice. I know, right? And All right. John Travolta, who has seen in last week's movie, is definitely <laughs> not too nice. <laughs> no, no. Uh, also, apparently, one was uh, that was in there was. Um, Mr. Mom himself, Michael Keaton, who to this day, uh, he turned it down because he didn't understand the script and to this day really regrets having done that. I'll bet. Yeah. Um, though it's never actually stated, 
it is guessed, and this is one of many guests, uh, believe it or not, one of many guesses, I should say, uh, that Phil lives the same day enough times to make it through about 10 years. That's what I read somewhere, but we don't. Write, but there's no way to tell. Well, we're, uh, they only depict parts of 38 separate days. But uh. given the idea, people actually, I don't. Well, people have a lot of free time. People like figured out how long it would take him to take that many piano lessons to get that good to learn to speak French, etc., etc. Huh. Well, so, that's pretty subjective, but okay. Yeah. So about the director was about 10 years. That's wow. So he went through that same day over 3,000 times. Yeah. Yikes. So Harold Ramis and Murray, who had previously worked on films like Stripes, National Lampoon, oh no, he wasn't in National Lampoon's Vacation, uh, Ghostbusters, things like that, were not the best of friends during the making of this film. Ooh. Ramis wanted to do more with the comedic aspects. Murray wanted to do more with the philosophical. Perhaps this is kind of a foreshadowing of the parts he'd play later in his career. Sadly... This is the last time the two would even speak to each other until just before Howard Ram Harold Ramis' death in 2014. Oh, really? Yeah. Apparently oh, they... Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Uh, part of the problem was probably also the fact that Murray was going through a divorce during the making of this film and was not in the best of mindsets. But yeah, he like literally mm. wouldn't even mention Harold Ramis in interviews. Well, you hear stories about Bill Murray. He is a bit of a difficult person, apparently. Yeah. Um, it also is fair to say that after this, the two of them not working together uh, didn't seem to hurt Murray's career at all, but Ramis's was mm. not quite the same. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, did not know this, this movie was made into a stage musical in 2016. I didn't know that either. It, oh. it was nominated for eight Olivier Awards, and it won for Best New Musical. Boy. This is why the songs from said musical are on everybody's lips. You know, um, like... Um, um, the haunting theme uh, from Groundhog Day? Uh, or I love you, Groundhog. Uh, Groundhogs of the night? Won't or? you be my Groundhog? Things like that. Anyway, <laughs> according to screenwriter Danny Rubin, one of his influences for coming up with the story was Interview with a Vampire. He claims that thinking about... That's what I thought. <laughs> you know, I was watching it and my first thing I thought was, you know, this is right out of Anne Rice. Yeah. He claims that thinking about vampires and how they remain unchanging through tens or hundreds of years interested in him. And it's partially in that aspect that he based the rest of the film. Huh. Okay. So, among other things. Sure. Among other uh, uh, places that uh, actually tried to sue him later. But yeah, well, mm. yeah, we're not going to go any farther with that. <clears throat> in the original script, Rita ends up becoming trapped in a loop, just like Phil's. Glad they took that, that out. a very different movie. Yep. Yeah. Phil's character is based somewhat on the Kubler-Ross description of the five stages of grief, which includes denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally acceptance. And once you know this, it's like, oh yeah, I can actually see exactly where yeah. they change. Um, I think most people probably didn't understand that. I'd heard of the Kubler-Ross thing, but I couldn't have named what the five stages were, so... Um, there was a lot of pressure from the studio to explain why Phil is stuck in this loop. Ramis didn't want one as he thought it would distract from the rest of the movie. Ideas that were come up with included Phil's ex-girlfriend, who happened to be a witch, placing a curse on him. Oh, dear. And the malfunctioning mad scientist's machine. <laughs> Ramus pretended. I kid you not. Ramus <laughs> pretended to put the ideas into the script, but scheduled them so late that oh no, we ran out of time. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. Um, so, 
this was a very interesting year for films. As I said, this was the uh, one of the top grossing. I think it was number three uh, for highest grossing oh. films. Other films of this year include one of our earlier choices, Dazed and Confused, Free Willy, Last <laughs> Action Hero, Jurassic <laughs> Park, Miss, oh God, Mrs. Doubtfire, Schindler's List, Philadelphia, <laughs> and The Nightmare Before Christmas. So. A, that is some collection of movies. <laughs> yeah, it was a very interesting year for films. Hmm. Um, hey, here's a little side thing. Um, Punxsutawney Phil, in over 120 years of predicting the end of winter, has only been right 39% of the time. Oh, I always wondered about that. I did too, so I looked it up. 103 hmm. of those were supposed to be longer winters, only 20 early springs. Interesting, he's much better at predicting early spring than he is longer winters, which I don't... Out of the 20 he predicted, I think 15 uh, were correct. Um, and strangely, of them, nine of the years are missing, and nobody has any idea why. So wait a sec, so he's only accurate about 39% of the time? Which, and I also looked That's... this up, most weathermen are tend to be I... around 60. I... 60? I didn't know it was that high. Yes, although everyone, of course, has to point out that if you flip a coin, you're going to get 50%, which is still a good deal better than Phil. So yeah. um, don't listen to the rat. Ah, the, the groundhog. <laughs> woodchuck, whatever. It is a rodent. Is. I looked that up. Budget. Between 14 and 30 million. Take you, you uh, 79 million and one of the highest yeah. grossing... Oh, wait. This feels familiar. Yeah, wait a minute. You started over again. Did I? Oh, God, are we both in the time loop? <laughs> and we dragged our listeners with us. Yep, yep. No, that's all I have for trivia. Do you have any other trivia you know about this uh, this little film? Not really, uh, except it's it's nice to see Bill give his, uh, I guess, his half-brother or whatever relation, Brian Doyle Murray, a part in this movie. It's his older brother. His older brother, yes. okay. He even um, gives him Heimlich maneuver in this movie. Yep. Uh, one of the more memorable scenes. So, if you somehow do not know the plot of this film, because this is a pretty well-known film, I will still go over it because that's part of my job. Yep. For which I am not paid. <clears throat> plot. Phil Connors, local weatherman in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, played by Bill Murray, is an insufferable bastard. He's snide to everyone, including himself. He, his producer and cameraman, played in order by Andy McDowell and Chris Elliott, take a trip to nearby Punxsutawney to see the yearly prediction by that town's famous groundhog, conveniently also named Phil, played by Scooter. Trapped by a blizzard, they're forced to stay overnight. When Phil wakes up, he finds that it's not tomorrow, it's February 2nd oh. all over again, though he's only he seems to know it. The, this continues the next day. The next day and the next in a seemingly unending parade of February the 2nd. Nothing he does seems to change the fact that he will always wake up at 6 a.m. on February 2nd until Phil finally finds the true meaning of Christmas, saves Tiny Tim, and wait, buys what? the smallest Christmas tree at the end. That's how it ends. Wait, Don't dispute wait, wait, me. Wait a minute. <laughs> you know how it ends. Yeah, yeah. So let's get on to this film called hmm. Groundhog Day, which has nothing to do with meat. down so well he does point out that uh, they used to eat the groundhog after the prediction but they did and in fact uh the the whole that so woodstock illinois uh bears apparently very little resemblance to punxsutawney <laughs> philadelphia or pennsylvania uh apparently a, 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 the groundhog thing actually involves going into the woods there's no gobbler's knob that's not a thing uh, um yeah i, I figured because if i remember right punxsutawney is a coal mining town or was and uh, I think the coal ran out, and I'm not sure what kind of state that uh, it was in in the 90s. Well, uh, interestingly, like, it used to be that Punxsutawney Phil would gather 
you know, a bunch of locals, maybe a thousand people for Groundhog Day. And after the film came out, like the first year after it came out, there were 39,000 people who descended oh, on the town. Yeah. Uh, initially, also, um, the people of downtown, the, the store owners of downtown, were uh, going to try and sue them to stop them from production. And it's like, why would you do that? Is uh, seriously, do you, why do you hate money? Yeah, and of course, since then, after the film, now there's plaques everywhere. Oh, Bill, here's where the pothole used to be, uh, and stuff like that. And of course, ah, uh, even though it wasn't okay. And interestingly, the, the restaurant that the cafe, the tip top, was a warehouse. They built the restaurant oh. for the movie, and after that, the whole town was like, We want a restaurant there. So they, <laughs> so they opened a restaurant. So, but. The movie. So, Max, I ask you one of my mm. usual questions. Did you yeah. see this when it came out in the theater? I, I believe I did. It's hard to remember that far back in the ancient mists of time, but I believe I did see it in the theater. Did you go in? And it's. Did you go in knowing the premise? Do you remember if you saw it because there was a preview? Uh, I that I don't remember. Okay, I really don't. I don't I either. Think I did, but I don't know. I mean, it's ninety three. It's twenty seven years ago. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So what did you do? You remember your thoughts about it at the time? I thought I really liked it. Yeah, I remember thinking it was really imaginative and really interesting. When I was younger, I was really kind of annoyed, like, "Wait, why is this happening?" And then, when you think about it, I'm glad he didn't that Ramus didn't put in an explanation. I think that would have been bad. <laughs> you mean like my girlfriend's a witch? Yes, or oh, you, you know, no, Doc, what have you done? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I too. It's it's a it's a very interesting film, if not the least of which because of that fantasy element that they basically are like. Given this element, we're just going to keep going. We're not. No, we're not. No, we're not going to do a proof. We're not going to sit here and tell you why. We're just going to go. Then one of my talking points was actually to you is like, do you think there would have been a way to introduce the reason behind the loop that would not have distracted from the film or otherwise no, would have worked? I don't. No, there would have been no way. No, it would have changed. Well, it would have been an entirely different movie because that would have become the plot. Is why is this happening and what the mechanics of it were. And the fact is, that isn't the point. The point is the evolution of Phil's character That's and the way he changes and, and what, what goes on. And in, if, in some ways, like the nature, there's some fairly deep stuff in this movie. There is. Actually, doing some research, I found that it is a favorite film of um, uh, the Buddhists. Uh, it is a very favorite mm. film of psychiatrists. They say it's actually a lot like going through therapy. Um, mm. There's a lot of like Eastern religious types. Uh, even actually, it was, the film was when it first came out was being picketed by Jews, but not so that people wouldn't go see it, but because they actually found a lot of parallels to Judaism in it, which I was like, okay, mm. I, I don't know enough about it. But it is apparently a darling of philosophers and people like that. They love to see what's going on. Well, I could see that, especially with Buddhists, because part part of the nature of Buddhism is there's no past, there's no future, there's only the now. <laughs> there is, and only, this is like, is yeah, only. there literally is only the the now. There isn't no before, there's no after, there is only Punxsutawney. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the I tip mean, top cafe. I, it's one of my favorite lines from Kung Fu Panda, when Master Ugwe is t- talking, and he basically sums up that part of the philosophy. What is it? Uh, yes. The past is history. The future is a mystery. But today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. Yes, which, of course, only works in English, but there you go. Yeah. Um, no matter what you do, it will always be a peach. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's also a fun film. 
One yeah. of the also other interesting things that I hadn't actually thought about till just now is something that that Phil Bill Murray's character never does. He never asks why. He never tries. That's to, true. He, he well, who is he going to ask? Well, we don't get a lot of inner monologue. He doesn't talk to himself much. No. Who is he going to? Who, who would he ask that question of? Well, but it's true. There's no sense of. We don't see him like sitting around trying to figure it out. He's not reading books on science or philosophy or time travel. No. He just eventually just clearly accepts it. I mean, I also I like that line. I forgot that line he has, where he says, "Someone, well, what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today." <laughs> It's like wow, that yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it does get really heady and weird. Um, but he like he doesn't like shake his fist at the sky. Um, there is literally no attempt to bring religion into this at all. No specific. Well, except when he decides he's a god. <laughs> well, well, not the god, a god, uh, a god. And yeah. I love how she's talking to him about. It. I was like, no, you're not. He's like, well, but I can do these things. It's like, well, okay, but that still doesn't make you a god. And he's like, well, but God. Uh, so, but it's like that's you would think that even if he was a devout atheist, he at some point would have go, okay, just in case, because I'm going to do this three three thousand times, I'm going to go into a church. But they don't, and I think it's actually mm. very interesting that they don't. Um, I some of the. Hmm? I just like also the fact that he finally gets the idea. So well, I'm just going to start talking to these guys, and so it goes bowling with uh, Gus and oh, uh, that. In some way, is such a depressing conversation because <laughs> yeah. he says to him, "You know, what if every day was exactly like the day before, and you had nothing to look forward to except the same thing oh, over and over again? Nothing you did mattered. And, yeah, and nothing you did mattered. <laughs> and one of them just says." That's basically my entire life. Well, that sums it up for me. Yeah, yeah the other one like, takes oh, a shot. Oh, Lord! <laughs> well, it turns out we find out later, because he he's mentions them in, uh, when he, when he's trying to prove his, his deity-ness, his divine yeah. whatever, uh, in the cafe. He talks about this guy, this guy, and he points out that these two guys were basically kind of lost since the coal mine closed up, so... Uh, but the, you obviously realize he's even though we don't see scenes like the waiter he's like and this guy is blah 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 he lives it with his, with his parents uh, he paints toy soldiers and he's gay so at some point he sat down and talked to this guy and, or he overheard he may have just been listening in a lot yeah uh, I thought it was yeah. very interesting that that kid's entire response is oh, yeah I am and he's like oh really you just say that in the middle of Punxsutawney uh, Pennsylvania oh, right. yeah um there's actually, except for Phil, there's not really any judgments made, right? This mm -hmm. film isn't trying to say, well, if you do this, something bad's going to happen. It's And we did, we were literally left with the idea that it's up to us to decide who decided to screw with Phil, but good for them. The other thing about that I like about Phil that is so, that makes it more interesting is he's not a monster. He's not some ho genuinely horrible sociopath. He's just a jerk. Yeah. He is a garden variety jerk. He's the kind of person we all run into. He doesn't go around kicking puppies. He's no. just, you know, he's a TV personality. He's very self-involved. <laughs> he does he his head's kind of up his ass. I made for TV love you. <laughs> yeah, exa exactly. But he's not a horrible person. And the idea I think that works there is you get the idea he has the seed of, for redemption in him. Maybe he deserves a chance at it. Yeah. 
And I, I love the stages he goes through. I didn't really think of them entirely as Kubler-Rossian, but they are kind yeah. of, especially when he realizes he can do anything he wants and there are no consequences. Right. And luckily he doesn't take that as far as the rating of the film would have allowed him to do. Right, um, he doesn't go around killing or committing horrible, you know, crimes or assaulting people. No, he steals he, one he, bag of money. <laughs> yeah, and he does it. I love that scene because it all when he's sitting there murmuring to himself like, "Okay, gust of wind, dog's going to bark," which could, I love that because that was the first scene that gave you an indication that this had been going on for a long time. Yeah. Everything else, it could have been a few days, but you're hearing these details. That's it. Adjust your bra. <laughs> Ask him for a roll of quarters. You go, yep. How many times has he watched this scene that he's got every single detail? And he just has it timed to walk over when he knows they won't be looking, picks up the bag and walks away. But you know, That's I- it. And it's it's perfect. And I hadn't thought about this, but that scene actually tells you a lot about that town, right? Because yeah, who are it, the security guards for the, this Brink trucks? These two old guys who obviously yeah, couldn't and, stop anything. They, they probably no, couldn't could stop an order for fries. And they're sitting there with the doors of the armored car wide open. Right. While they're picking up change, one of them dropped. Yeah. And I work in retail, and we have a nice Brinks person come every day, and they're armed, Right. Because this is a problem. You do not walk up to an open drink truck at all, but you do not no. walk up to an open drink truck and say, hey, can I get a roll of quarters? Because no, you're not going to no, get with you will also You also shouldn't see an open drink truck. No. You never see the doors open. They open them really fast, put the stuff in, take the stuff out, slam. Yeah. That's it. And there's somebody back there, and there are t- little holes in the drinks truck through which they can point their guns. Yeah. Uh, but it shows you, but, it's like, in this town, obviously, it's never been a problem. Like, it, yeah. these, these are nice people. And, of course, that's what Amy, Andy McDowell's there. Andy McDowell, she's the patron saint of nice. <laughs> she's so, Yeah, I have to say, she's kind of too nice in this, at least initially. I like as, she, as Phil gets to know her, she has more of kind of a snarky side and... She's got a little... Uh, I still am going, wait, you really want to hang out with this woman? She Her favorite drink is sweet vermouth on ice. With a twist. With a twist. <laughs> Ew! Yuck. <laughs> I don't know anyone... Do you know anyone who drinks vermouth straight? No, I tried it the other day because I like Manhattans. And it's like, no, no, nah. This is a mixer. No, this you, is not... To, no. No, you drink... Verm- sweet vermouth by itself when o- you have run out of all other alcohol and you don't want to be reduced to drinking vanilla or the liquid in maraschino cherry jars. Well, I'm I'm out of Listerine. I guess this will have to do. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty mm. much. It's like, mm, I'll drink NyQuil before I try this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Um, His whole targeting of Rita is starts out, it's so creepy. Yes. It is like the ultimate stalker. Well, especially the scene when he's with Nancy and he keeps saying Rita's name. That's kind of... Yeah, yeah, ew. And, well, I think, you know, that's the early part of the film. He's trying to learn how to take advantage of the situation so he can take advantage of somebody. And Mm. thankfully, we don't see much with Nancy. But quite honestly, the scene where he gets as close as he's going to get initially with Rita gets kind of racy. And I'm like, I wasn't expecting that. it's, It's by no means actually sexual. But he's pretty much pawing all over her, which is... Not comfortable. And I still like the fact that even though he amasses this huge amount of knowledge about her and can portray himself 
to pretend as the he's the perfect man. Yeah. Because he keeps asking her, "What's your perfect guy? What's your perfect guy?" And he pretends to be that, and she never falls for it. Not completely. She's, no, she starts to, and then she always sees through him at the end and belts him. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, though, in the end, he kind of ends up becoming her perfect man because her list in- includes all these things. And at some point, once he gets past that that sort of speed bump of I'm not going to be able to make it with Rita and just starts learning to do things, he ends up doing like he plays the instrument. He speaks French. He reads poetry. At some point during the film, he sort of gathers all the things in this ridiculous list, except the body. But well, yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, that. It turns out she just lists because everybody does that, right? So, oh, who's your perfect person? And of course, you never end up with that person because there is yeah, no person and you, like that. You see why too, because he, it's not just that he thinks she's pretty, which is obviously the thing that drew him at first, because he's very, initially he's very shallow, right? But he thinks of her. She's the night. She says she she's like the kindest, best person he's ever met. Yeah. So of course he figures her ideal must be the thing you should strive to be. So no wonder he uses her idea as a model. Yeah, I think that part of his transition to me, though, was finally just getting bored. It's It'll like, be well, that, too. I can't do this thing. I can't get her into bed, which is what he's obviously trying to do. And he kind of gives up on that, which is good, because he needs to. And he's like, well, what else? Because there's, there's literally one thing he can bring with him to the next day, or the next recurrence of February 2nd, and that's knowledge. That's it. Yeah. He can't, there's so that, no There's yep. no physical anything. He wakes up in the same bed. No matter what happened, it, it, 5.59, he's in that place. 6 a.m., he wakes up, and it's Sonny and Cher, which is quite honestly a certain <laughs> circle of hell. But, uh, can you imagine waking up to that song 3,000 times in a row? Ah. I mean, I'm kind of surprised they didn't do The Beat Goes On, because, you know. <laughs> um, no wonder, I mean, there's that actually rather dark sequence where he just keeps trying to kill himself right which is kind of surprising but necessary because you yeah. can't imagine that at some point he wouldn't yeah and um, again you you would want to see it and it's still kind of played for laughs you can tell by the music and they never give you a time there's one fake out where it, rita and larry the cameraman go to identify him in the morgue and you think oh my gosh did he just actually ah, nope Nope, that was a fake. I didn't even actually fall for that. I just was well, like... the first time I did. It was like the one moment where I thought Chris Elliott's character, uh, Larry, was actually sort of trying to be a regular human being, although he's really bad at it. Uh, almost as bad as Phil is. And he said, yeah, he was a, he was a really great guy. I, 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 I really liked him. Liked him. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, Chris sad. Elliott. Let's mention Chris Elliott. Uh, I'm going to go out on the limb and say this is the best thing ever from Chris Elliott, whom I generally yeah. just cannot stand. Nope, nope. I like his best work was in the Abyss. <laughs> That's only because hey. there's less of him. Yes, he's he has <laughs> two, maybe three lines. That's the best work I've seen him. That's the best thing I've seen him do. Well, he was yeah a- because again, once you initially he's supposed to be sort of the nice guy, and the more you find out about him, the more you realize, oh, he's kind of a jerk too. Yeah, it doesn't take much. Um, Chris Elliott. So he was in Saturday Night Live for a time. Yeah, um, yeah, he was, and he worked on. He was a writer and performer on David Letterman. Yeah, I think he was actually one of those people that was just better as a writer. Um, I think Andy Dick was the same way because I think Andy Dick was a writer on something oh, and it's like, oh, okay. that was, he was funny but anytime I see him in person I just want to throttle him. Um, 
Chris well, Elliott's the son of somebody. He's the son of Ray Elliott of the legendary comedy radio duo Bob and Ray. Who I also never found funny. <clears throat> eh, some but, of their actually some of their stuff. I don't know about listening to it, but I had a book of their uh, scripts, and some of it is pretty funny. Is it? I know that they were like very popular for a long time. I uh, I heard them once on the Doctor Demento show, and uh, it was like, uh, when when's the funny part? I don't get it. But Chris Elliott, for for some reason, every time I've seen him, it's like. All right, so you're not from this planet, and somebody <laughs> described humor to you, and you thought you'd give it a try. There is always something a little off about him. Yeah, and it's just like... Don't know what it is, but it's just not is. funny. I mean, yeah. he's not as bad as Tom Green, but... Uh, no, well... <laughs> sorry, I just had a sudden flashback. Uh, uh, yeah, Chris Elliott's got fingered. Um, no! <laughs> speaking of humor, Ned! Ned Ryerson! Oh, God. That, I love, I love Ned that Ryerson. actor. <laughs> he, he is terrific, and oh lord, that actor Stephen Tobolowski. Yeah, he he is just so good at playing irritating, annoying. He plays like bureaucrats a lot. He yeah. plays authority fig, you know, nerdy authority figures. Oh, he's hilarious in this. Even better, he's still working. Like yes. I looked him up, and his like his latest credit, he's in pre-production for some film called Butterfly and the Typewriter, whatever that is. Uh, but he was good on, for they, him. They brought back one day at a time for reasons that I'm not, un, I don't understand. But he's he's Wait, like a regular Bonnie, in that. The Bonnie Franklin one uh, day at a time. Apparently, I oh, guess wow. he plays somebody named Doctor Berkowitz, whatever. Okay. Uh, huh. He was in a show called Loud House. He was in the Goldbergs. He's just like he keeps uh. working and good for him. Uh, and yep. apparently. Uh, not only did he basically come to the film or his audition like dead, dead on. He had the character down. Like he based it on somebody he knows who is in fact an insurance salesman. Oh. And after the film, the guy thanked him for so possible or positively portraying insurance salesmen. That was positive. <laughs> I guess. I mean, let's face I mean, it. As 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 pushy he is, he's nice. He's, he's friendly. very upbeat. Yeah, it's true. So whatever. He just, you know, he just obviously is a third wheel or doesn't quite doesn't know how to pick up social cues too well. No, but yeah, he's he's very friendly. And actually, come to think of it, I did I had forgotten this. There's actually somebody that went to our high school who was socially awkward and people didn't know very well. And the last time I saw him, he was an insurance salesman. Oh no, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we saw I saw him at the one reunion I went to, and it's uh. like, oh yeah, you probably don't remember me. This is my name, blah blah blah. <laughs> I sell insurance. <laughs> so yeah, I love Ned. Ned's hilarious, and especially when uh, finally when Phil decides I I I don't want to be mean to the guy, but I just need him to let me alone. He tries a bunch of mean things. He pushes him away. He's just he sort of nasty. he knocks him out. Yeah, at one point. he punches him, and I love the way he finally gets him. It's like I'm just going to make him feel as uncomfortable as he makes me feel. <laughs> And Ned's like, I got it. Makes a go. basically makes a pass at him. Yeah, well, he hugs him. And he's like, "What are you doing? Can you call in sick?" <laughs> so uh, yeah, good old. And of course, Ned is a, is a is a great little uh, indicator for the audience as to where we are, um, right? That's sort of the yeah. It's where he's starting to shift. Although I still think one of the big shifting points is with a character who has no dialogue, and that's the old homeless guy. 
Oh, sorry. When I know you said you had trouble remembering it, but I remember the first time I saw the film, and I was looking for the thing. Right? It's like he's got to have to do one thing that'll get him out of the loop. What? What is it? When you saw him finally notice the old man, did you think, "Oh, I bet if he's nice to the old man, or or he saves the old man's life, that'll be it. That'll be the thing." Did you think? No, that? I thought that was just a stage because oh, okay. I also knew where it was in the movie. I just kept, you know, kept trying to guess. It's like, there's got to be a thing. I wonder what the thing is. And of course, it, there isn't a specific thing. There isn't thing. one single thing. That's the that's the beauty of the movie. It isn't yeah. a single, as they say, come to Jesus moment. Yeah. It develops slowly. And he's still in there. I like the fact that, like, obviously, every day he catches that kid who falls out of the tree. You never anyway, thanked me. You never you thanked never, me. I'll see you tomorrow, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really good moment, too, because that's the point where he's like, I'm still Phil, but I'm, uh, yeah, I got to save him. So he's like, like, and you see that the reaction is real. When he looks at his watch and he realizes he's running late, he looks genuinely worried. Yeah. He's like, oh, geez, this is, you know, it's important to him that the kid doesn't get hurt. Yeah, because he breaks his leg. That's what it turns out happens. He breaks his leg. Oh, okay. I want to say, too, uh, halfway through when he's going after Rita, do you think that there's actually any love at that point? Oh, God, no. It's just he's either bored or he is attracted to her because she's Andy McDowell. Of course he's attracted to her. And she's everything he isn't. She's attractive up to that point when she goes to talk to the dolphins. Ah! 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 Ah, yes. She was in Mike's favorite movie of all time, Hudson Hawk. (laughs) I loved her in that. She was such a loon. Um... Anyway, well, yeah, sure, you, yeah. So you don't think she, he? It's just it's like a, it's a uh, what do you, a notch on his belt or whatever. And yeah, I th- I think it's and he, it's like well, she's the most attractive woman around. I'll go after her. And I think the thing is, as he gathers more and more information about her, for the purpose of getting her in bed, he starts to realize, wow, she actually is a really remarkable person. Yeah, she's very nice. She has goals. She's. Uh, uh, very intelligent. She's, she's idealistic. Yeah. yeah. She's like, well, I mean, again, maybe he just never met a genuinely nice person before, or he did, and he only just scorned them and walked away. He never actually looked into what that meant. It may, it brings up an interesting thing about him also with the old man, uh, which is, again, an incredibly touching sequence. Yeah. And they don't overdo it. No. they You only see, like, three, like three or four very quick scenes, and... I like when the doctor says, you know, because he dies. And the doctor says, well, some, it, sometimes they ju- people just die. Yeah. And he looks at her and says, not today. Mm. And he tries to keep him warm. He tries to have him fed. He's trying to bring, he tries to res- resuscitate him. But you notice he keeps calling him Pop or yeah. Dad. And I wonder if that was a little thing about, you know, trying to save his own father or something. I don't know. I don't think there's really mm-hmm. any any other evidence in the film to suggest yeah, that. Yeah, any but of sure. that is just guesswork. Yeah, yeah. it's just guesswork. Um, it's interesting how little we actually know about Phil, and we mm-hmm. never learn about Phil. Like, uh, we know he's got a sister because Ned went out with her. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, and then, you know, of course, Phil told him to stop doing that. Um, we know yeah. that he comes from, I believe he comes from Pittsburgh, because um, that's I where he talks to school. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. 
He pretends to go to a different school when he meets Nancy and he does that whole thing. Let me find out about her so I can pick her up. Uh, yeah. Then he picks up another woman who looks so much like Nancy that I didn't realize it wasn't Nancy until Nancy walked by seeing him yeah. with her and he said, hey, Nancy. And yeah. Um, I, I do like the fact that when he has all this money he's taken from the uh, armored car, what does he do? He buys a car, he picks up a girl, he makes her dress up as a French maid, he dresses up as Clint Eastwood, <laughs> and they go to a movie. And I looked it up just so you know. The yeah. movie playing there, which they, they show on the, uh, the, the marquee. Yeah, the marquee. It says Heidi 2. Uh, we can what? both rest assured, I looked it up, there is no Heidi 2. <laughs> Thank God. I, I just assumed it was a western, you know. She just won't stop singing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I he, well the thing is, is it says Heidi too, but then it looks like they're going in to see the good, the bad, the ugly. So yeah. I don't know, but whatever. I, I do like that the little throwaway. Yo, I love this movie. I've seen it a hundred times, and right. you're going, I he probably has at least yeah. Uh, which is going to bring me up to uh, a question, Max. Yeah. You are stuck in. I don't care what day it is. It doesn't matter. What would you do? Oh, you mean if I was in that same situation? Yeah, you've got the same day to live over however many times. You don't know how many, but it's been at least three. And it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. What would you do? What 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 things do you wish you had time for that you would do? Boy. I think I uh, some of the stuff would be that I would want to learn some kind of musical instrument. I like that idea. It's like, oh, wow. It'd be hard to convince a teacher, though, every day. Yeah. That well, would be tough. $1,000, uh, that's the other thing he spends the money on. The other thing I would wonder is, if you exercised, yeah. does your does his body reset? Yeah. Physically, everything's the same. Oh. Well, it's mentally is the only thing that changes. In that case, I would try every form of alcohol I could find <laughs> and every kind of food I could find, just because you knew there would be no consequences initially. Chris Hadley, you're stuck with the cuisine of Punxsutawney Pennsylvania. There is that. I don't think there's exactly a wide variety to choose from. I hear they have really good Vietnamese there. <laughs> oh, oh uh, I, I've heard you're lying. <laughs> Actually, to be fair, this day and age, they might, but they not, might. certainly Who not knows? in 1993, at least not as I depicted in Woodstock, Illinois. It. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I might have done the Burgess Meredith thing and just spent the whole time in the library. Oh, my glasses broke. Grr, grr. I don't know. What about you? Uh, definitely the musical instrument thing. Uh, I would I would somehow learn something, perhaps keyboard. I mean, of course, it would depend on who was teaching. It's like, oh, tuba, huh? Oh, well, if that's all you got, I guess I'll stick with the tuba. That's the thing. I mean, technically, what is it that that thing you you just need to spend ten thousand hours to be great at something? Or right, that's a something? that's a Malcolm Gladwell thing. It's from t yeah. uh, Tipping Point. Oh, okay, but uh, so you spend two hours a day, you got five thousand days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think also I might try a language. Um, I've been told oh, I, have a, I have a facility with them, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I speak little bits of lots of languages. I have enough to get myself in trouble, enough to, to yeah. utter that one sentence where people think I speak their language. And it's like, oh, uh, I know no comprende now. Sorry, that's it. I, I can yeah. I can ask where I the am. black shoes are, but that's I you, I don't understand <laughs> where they are if you tell me. So. I have no ability with with foreign languages at all. Um, the food I can thing, do the accents. Yeah. That's about it. Uh, the food thing, I'd probably certainly try other foods. I mean, it, it also depends on where it is, right? Because if, yeah. if it's February 2nd and you're stuck on an island alone, well, uh, that would be even worse. No people yeah. at all. Ooh, that um, would be bad. Downtown L.A. brings a lot more possibilities. Uh, who knows? But, yeah. After a while, though, I think it would be fun to do sort of what Phil ends up doing and basically be that town's fairy godfather. 
and like find out, okay, what's going on? What can you do to change things? What can you do to make things a little better? And he ends up with a kind of schedule. He kind of almost makes it a good day for as many people as he possibly can. He changes yeah. that nice old lady's tire. He keeps he saves um, he saves the mayor or the head, whatever whoever he is uh, from uh, from choking to death. He lights somebody's cigarette. He, he apparently fixes that, somebody's back. He keeps that kid from, uh, from uh, breaking his leg. Yeah. Um, he tries his. He he makes sure that the old man hit the end of his day anyway is at least as nice as possible mm-hmm. um and he, and he helps that odd couple yes the two oh, young yes, people tickets to wrestlemania <laughs> which that i had to look what, up it turns out wrestlemania would not in fact be in pittsburgh until 1997 <laughs> ruined the whole film <laughs> excuse me i don't believe it wrestlemania yeah okay <laughs> worst continuity ever 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 that's one of the things i really like about this movie you instantly understand what those two kids are like. Yeah. And this is true of almost everyone you meet in this movie. Right away, their characters are very clearly established. Even though we literally find out almost nothing about them except yeah. for Rita and a little yep. of Nancy. That's it. But right away, I mean, the first time we see Rita, she isn't even talking. She's standing and she's playing with a blue screen. And she has this look of just childlike delight. And you go, okay, we know what she's like. And immediately, you know what Phil is like when he refers to his co-anchor as hairdo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I forget, does he actually call his stand-in anything? I don't think he does. He just no, by, by no, name, he doesn't. But yeah, yeah, no, we know immediately everything we need to know almost right away, and that's both remarkable from the script, the acting, and the directing. He's a really weird mix because Phil is a guy. He even admits it later on on, on day whatever. He's like, I don't even like myself. And I think that's one of the key points. But he obviously, at least early on, thinks he deserves better. And I don't think that that's in any way contradictory. It seems like it is on paper. But I think a lot of people who think they deserve better, you know, in that way, in Mm -hmm. that I'm entitled, if they truly took a look at themselves, might not like what they see. Well, yeah, a lot of that I deserve better or I should have better is like because then that'll prove I'm a good person or then it'll prove right. that I don't need to hate myself as much as I do. Right. Um, very subtly done. Um, and hey, yeah. let's talk about the acting. So this is kind of a thankless movie to be in, in a way, because mm-hmm. I would say half of the movie is literally doing the same scene over and over again. And as it turns out, even more than that, because initially Harold Ramis couldn't decide what kind of weather he wanted. So the Ned Ryerson scenes were shot in the sun and when it was actually snowing and finally just sort of overcast and dreary. And he finally decided on dreary. Mm. But he had to do all those scenes <laughs> before deciding, well, we're going to do it slightly different because, you know, Ned's part's the same, but now uh, Phil's part's different. It's but also it, got to be thankless for the other actors because the only characters that develop at all are, are are Phil and Rita, and Rita doesn't even so much develop as sort of just sort of bloom. You know, we find we just find we, out we more. We find about out her. more. That, yeah, but that's the thing. She Andy McDowell gets to show us different sides of her. Yeah, and this you know this is where you have to give a lot of credit to the actors because you know certainly the director is he he was shuffling a lot of things and I think this is potentially Ramis's best best film. Um, a lot of people would say that Ghostbusters was better, but I. I I think this one's actually got so many more subtleties and so, such an interesting premise that I, I'm, I could see it's being arguable. I won't decide it here. Mm. 
I think you can make an argument for it, but uh, that'd be that'd be a close one. I, yeah. yeah, that's a whole other episode. But you know, you look at them and they are fresh in every scene. I n- yeah. never got a sense of them being tired, except when Phil is supposed to be tired. But even then, his tiredness doesn't feel like, oh dear gods, I have to do this stupid scene again. It feels like, here we go, day three twenty eight. Um, Missed call. Think I <laughs> killed a man? <laughs> deep yeah. cut. Yeah, very deep cut. Um, and it, it really helps. Some of the side actors, too, like the woman who plays Nancy, she seems startled by him every time. And mm-hmm. she's a minor player, but it, it's necessary, and she does a great job at it. Yep, absolutely. The, the, there's a scene, a sequence that always kind of threw me at first because it's so out of place. And that's there's an action scene in the middle of this movie Yeah, when he kidnaps the groundhog. Yep. And goes on and they goes on a car chase. And again, it works because it shakes things up. Yep. It's like, wow. That, and again, it, it's also kind of, I know the thing was biting him, but it's so cute <laughs> the way he's holding it on the steering wheel. And he's going, okay, check your mirrors, check your mirrors, just a little bit, move your head. And that line, yeah, don't drive angry, that was that was so significant. Somebody made a movie called Drive Angry. That Did was they? the title came from that. Didn't they also make a movie called Woodchucks on a Plane? I think they did. <laughs> I, I think they did. I believe Samuel Jackson has a rather <laughs> a filthy line about uh, being tired of having all these woodchucks on the plane. Get these Monday through Friday groundhogs <laughs> off this Monday through Friday plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. woodchuck groundhog, one of those. Yeah, he, they, they do a good job. Of, and this is potentially also in the script, uh, Ruben and, and Ramis. Um, they do a good job of the repetition and just when we could get bored doing something interesting or throwing us off track or changing things up. So, but again, the, the acting, if the acting wasn't there, this premise would not work at all. Um, I, it's hard to picture anybody besides Bill Murray doing that part. It is. And of course that's, you can say that about a lot of other films, although there's a lot, also a lot of other films is like, I'd like to picture somebody else in that part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I want to go to, to one of my questions about the acting. So, do you think Phil actually changes? And the reason I ask that is, do we totally, and I do mean 100%, trust Bill Murray's performance at the very end? And this is when he's in the, wherever the party's taking place, the town hall or whatever. The moose, Actually, it's a moose lodge, as it turns right, out. Yeah. Um, I thought it was the water buffalo lodge. Uh, you're close. Um, yeah. But he, the Grand Poobah, is, I guess, is going to be Buster <laughs> Green, but whatever. Um, yeah. There's... Still that little side of snide. A little bit. And that even, I think, comes up at the very end. Yes. And that's the last line where he's run outside with Rita and the music is triumphant and he goes, let's live here. Pause. (laughs) We'll rent to start. Yeah. And to me, that sums it up. It's like, yes, I think he is changing, but there's still a little of the old Phil in there. He is enough of him that's enough that's cynical or pragmatic enough to go... Yeah, I like the idea, but I don't know if this will last. Yeah. I think and, that, I, and I think that's why it works so well. And, of course, it's Bill Murray, so it's, that's, it's, it's asking a lot from the audience. Because Bill tends to play fairly sarcastic, fairly jaded, fairly snide characters. That's, yeah, this was actually about. a problem in Scrooged. Uh, isn't I don't that know if the you one ever saw some, that. The, uh, the, the one with the, who played the good fairy in that? It, uh, that Carol was Carol Kane. Kane. Yeah. And she was not of good fairy. She was the ghost of Christmas present. Right. 
and that it, she is the best thing in the movie. <laughs> I I got to tell you, I don't think that movie is terribly good. Her and Bobcat Goldthwait are the best things in there. It's mostly just. F- <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, we should tell you something right there. And Bobcat doesn't really get going until about three quarters of the way through the movie. Well, the first thing I think of when I think of Charles Dickens is Bobcat Goldthwait. So Absolutely. Ah, I'm Bob Cratchit. <laughs> <laughs> Which I believe he is. Bobcat Cratchit? <laughs> Bobcat Cratchit. I, that might even be his name. I can't remember. But. Uh, yeah. He's sort of, everyone. <laughs> I think he is one of he's supposed to be sort of the Bob Cratchit figure. I know they're getting a bit far afield, but eh. well, the problem with the movie is I never bought the transformation. You have to buy the transfer in any Scrooge story, any Christmas Carol, you have to buy the transformation of Scrooge from miser to uh, to you know generous philanthropist, Christmas loving, whatever. Yeah. And you know, I don't buy it for a minute in Bill Murray's performance, and I don't think he did either. Uh, <laughs> Partly because it's a modern movie, and it's much harder to, you know, there's a lot. It takes a lot more suspension of disbelief. But I think in this one, the thing that made it believable to me is the little exchange he has with Andy McDowell when she's falling asleep with him. Yeah, and he's just murmuring to her, and he knows she can't really hear him. And I think when he's what he's saying when he's telling her how wonderful she is and how you know she, he always just wants to hold on to her as tight as he can i think he's being honest there and that's some an actual vulnerable moment and i think that's when he's showing at least part of what he can become yeah it's also a very sad moment in a way because i think in some if you if you really take a look into it in some in some way <laughs> bill's also or if i should say phil at that mm. point is kind of giving up because what else yeah. can he do yeah, because like, he knows he's at 5.59 a.m., yep. it's all going to go away. She won't be there. Yeah. She won't remember anything. And he's not even really trying at that point. It's He's yeah. not trying to, like, I'm not, I'm stuck in this loop. I guess I'm stuck forever. And I think maybe that's what finally allows him to be honest, to really just come out and, like you say, be vulnerable. So is that the thing, do you think? I think that is the moment that pushes him over the edge because that's when we see him suddenly start learning things, and that's when he starts, you know, taking music, learning the musical instrument, and reading all the books. I think he's with her, and he goes, "Okay, maybe I'll never be with her, but I can be the kind, I can be the person that she would think would be a good person." Yeah, yeah, I think that's what I think. Anyway. Um. I think uh, the only other question I have is, uh, the, well, the one notation I had was, uh, blink and you'll miss Dr. Harold Ramis, neurosurgeon. Ah, yes. uh, That's right. He shows up. And does, does fine. You know, he's there. Harold Ramis is an actor, too, as well as a, a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mind him showing up in his own film, unlike some people who might have been mentioned last week. A <laughs> um, uh, question I have for you. Do people really still quote poetry? Is that still a thing? I don't know. It seems like it's just become a cliche, but who knows? I see people put poems up on Facebook. Maybe mm. that means people still just quote it. Ah, let's hope so. Uh, it'd be nice to know nice... people read. <laughs> it would. Yeah. Uh, it uh, would th- be... We went through my notes, though. Um, did you have any other thing you want to talk about before we uh, blow the lid off this pork product? Uh, let's see. I managed to get most of my stuff uh, in there. I do have to say... At the end, I never get tired. I mean, you come across this thing, especially in January and early February. It's on TV all the time. Mm-hmm. I never get tired of watching the party scene at the end. You know, the payoff. 
where he is the town hero in effect. Yeah. And you mean, you mean just, the sex auction? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, that too. The, <laughs> it's the bachelor auction, the final humiliation of Larry, who gets... <laughs> I want bought, him! I want him! <laughs> yeah, for 25 cents. Yeah. I really like... I like that, that whole series, and I like the way he just sort of accepts it. Yeah. And he doesn't make a big thing out of any of it. Yeah. Well, of course, he's done it so many times. He's done it so often, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to wonder if he's gone through that part, how many times he's actually gone through that party, or was that the final time, or who I don't knows? know. He actually looks surprised. Yeah. When they call him up on stage, it's like, you know, again, maybe that's one of the other subtle cues that they're giving us, is like, you know, he, he got somewhere new, something new. So maybe that's, yeah. Yeah, I like also the little subtle thing of when he's with Rita on that last night, and it starts to snow. Yeah. And it has it before, and he just gets this little, huh, that, that's weird. Yeah. But he doesn't, he doesn't freak out. He doesn't go, wait, something's different, until the next morning. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, it's, I think this whole thing is just really well done. Well, let's get talking about that, shall we? But yeah. first, a pause. The Roundup. So, Max, here, here's yeah. a question. Obviously, it seems pretty obvious you like the film. Oh, yeah. Do you think it holds up? It's 27 years old. I think it holds up really well. Yeah. I think it. I think it's a certain a lot of timeless elements about it. I mean, the only thing that would be different is everyone would have a cell phone. Yeah, yeah which I don't miss in a film. But uh, nope. They were very careful. I know that there was actually uh, a clear um, effort to not picture any specific time period or reference any specific cultural reference of the time. Yeah. Um, apparently, no, the no, uh, the author Danny Rubin wanted the wait. Danny Rubin. Danny got Rubin to sell our songs, and it really came together uh, when Mom sang along. Uh, Danny, you're Rubin, fired forever. <laughs> uh, really wanted this to be a film like, um, uh, well, the Charlie Brown Christmas special. It's a wonderful. It's life. It's a wonderful huh? life. Yes. Okay. He wanted yeah, it to be did. one of those films that would be shown every year, and he got it. I think he did. Uh, and let's face it, it's a time of year, February. Uh, not a lot of places are particularly enjoyable at that time of year. Mm, um, yeah. Even southern Florida, that was still kind of cool, although sunny all the time when I lived in southern Florida. Um, it was still cool and not, like, you wouldn't go to the beach or anything. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, certainly in the north, February is usually one of the months you'd try to hope, oh, thank, I'm glad it has two fewer days. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. What about you? You think it holds up? Uh, yeah, it's a nice movie. Uh, it's 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 actually nice that Bill Murray has had some of his corners sanded off. Yes, he's still Bill Murray, but he, like you said, in Scrooge, yeah, not so much. In this film, sure. I believe that he gets nicer. Uh, apparently he didn't in real life because he stopped talking to one of his best friends, but there you go. Um, and until you do one of those things, I'll continue talking to you. <laughs> but also... Uh, yeah, so yeah, we recommend. Goes if you haven't seen Groundhog Day in a long time, it's nice. If you need a little nice, this is actually a good year for for nice. So yeah. go, go get some nice. It's a nice we'll use, movie. We could always use some nice in our world. Uh, speaking of nice, what nice movie are we going to watch next week? Well, next week we're going to watch a biopic, a movie, a fictionalized story about qu- quite possibly one of the greatest film directors in his own mind, whoever trod the boards. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna be looking. Ray Dennis Steckler? Uh, no, no, he's he he's gonna get his whole own series where he watch all of his movies. I'm sorry, both of his movies. Uh, no, no, this is of course 
the great Ed Wood. The <sighs> legend, the, yes, the legendary Tim Burton film. One of the only two Tim Burton films I actually think is any good. <laughs> that tells the story of one of the most, well, let's say memorable directors <laughs> in American film. You know, if we do this show, I'm going to need transvestites. I need more transvestites. That's right. You must be Hungarian. You must be double-jointed. Ed Wood. Ed Wood. If you've always wanted to know about Ed Wood, tune in next week for Ed Wood. Ed, would you join us? This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. Thank you.